VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey guys, you're listening to the Engadget podcast. We're doing five episodes in September, special just for you. Brought to you by Verizon Wireless. Full disclosure, though, Verizon is our parent company, but they've never had any impact on the stories that we tell or anything that we've said, uh, this podcast included. So don't worry about those guys. We're still us. We're still doing our thing. Hello, and welcome to the Engadget podcast. I am Dana Wallman, executive editor, and I'm joined today by senior editor Chris Velasco. Hey, Dana. Hey, busy week, huh? Very busy week. I, I've slept a bit. I feel a bit more human. But other than that, yeah, I, feel, I, I think we did very well this week. Yes. Well, so for the, the listeners out there, we are in a different place this week. We're not in our usual closet on the East Coast. Which, by the way, thank God. Because it's literally a six by six. It's not exactly six by six, but it feels like a six by six room full of junk. Yes. So we are on the West Coast. We are in a room with much more natural light. We're also in a room with a sound guy, which is weird because we generally just sort of let things go off the rail. And it's okay because it's just us sort of giggling to ourselves and I guess the Internet. But also we have a person here now quietly judging us. I can see him out of the corner of my eye just sort of smirking and nodding. It's excellent. We're going to talk like no one's listening. That's and that's always worked for us before. Maybe sing like no one's judging, except there, there'll be no singing today. Well, we did a bunch of singing in the car ride up from uh, Sunnyvale, which is where we were staying for the Apple event. Yes, the Apple event. Apple obviously went a little crazy on Tuesday and unveiled a bunch of stuff. Obviously, the iPhone 8, the 8 Plus, the iPhone 10, a new Apple TV, the Apple Watch Series 3. Where to begin? Let's, I, I think the iPhone... 10, and it is pronounced the iPhone 10, technically. Yes. Uh, apologies it's probably a good place if, if to begin. At any point during like my hands-on video, I said iPhone X. I might have, like, I really can't say. I was in sort of a fugue state when I was doing that. I don't think I could reasonably held, be held responsible for that. But if I did, I am so sorry, everyone on the internet. So wait, before we get too far along, I just want to remind listeners that this was the first event held at Apple's futuristic spaceship campus called Apple Park. Yes. So you you were there. I wasn't there, but you were there. You got to see it. I did. Well, sort of. Right. So uh, so you, you drive in, you park in like their very nicely appointed parking garage. You walk up the stairs to the visitor center, which is sort of like an Apple cafe and an Apple store sort of combined into one. So you've got sort of like this glass cube in the middle of a like a pretty kind of field thing. And on one side, you've got basically yesterday and the day before that, just like reporters hunkered down filing stories and eating free food given to them by Apple employees? I should say, I did go that far. I did go to the visitor center, and you're right. It does look like a cafe mixed with an Apple store. Yeah. What you got to see was the Steve Jobs Theater, which I didn't get to see. Which is actually very nice. It's also sort of in the middle of everything, right? So once you sort of arrive, you you sort of trek up this pretty slight incline. You walk up a hill, essentially, for five minutes into the Steve Jobs Theater. And when you get there, you're greeted by a big circular glass building with and you walk inside it looks like there's like a ufo like preparing to land on you it's sort of foreboding in a way that i don't know that steve jobs would have been super into but also undeniably like very futuristic and very fun to be in so the seats worth uh the reported fourteen thousand dollars a piece i mean they're they're very good seats there weren't that many seats strangely enough i sort of expected given apple sort of the level of spectacle they try to go for with their events they they generally pack whatever house they're in and in the past, we've usually seen them at 
Moscone or at the Bogram Auditorium, which are obviously very, very big venues. So for them to sort of shift gears and say, oh, we're going to do most, if not all of our product presentations now here in this lovely, beautifully appointed, smaller theater, it, it is difficult. Like there will be situations where you're sort of like struggling for more hands-on time because you've, there's limited amount of space and, and things like that. But the inside of the theater was great. Stadium seating, which is always very nice. Props to you, Apple. Power outlets, which for any blogger is a must. So thank you for that as well. And I should point out, excellent Wi-Fi. Well, that's a first. Well, that's, I'm assuming that's for, for an Apple event, but also, you know, um, any press event. God, yeah. More often than not, you're sort of struggling with your hotspot and like trying to get a connection and then switching back and forth between the venue Wi-Fi and your hotspot to see like what will actually allow you to do your job. And more often than not, the answer is none of them. So you just sort of like sit there and stew in your own anger for a little bit. And then finally something works. But yeah, definitely not the case this time. Everything went really smoothly. So yeah, so um, we all saw the presentation. It was live streamed. I was live blogging it remotely. And then the magic happened, right? The live stream ends. You go off into this just intense pit of this mosh pit of new gadgets yeah and so that's that's you've described it very well and that's why i would say the word magic doesn't actually apply it's kind of like a war zone uh so you're like shoving your way into the orbits of like three or four tables all laden with apple's latest and greatest and you're just you're like angling for time and like snapping photos while like other people are holding holding the phones or whatever, just trying to get whatever you can while you're waiting for your turn to play with something. And yeah, it's it's a bit of a struggle. I don't recommend this to anyone. Like if you value your life, maybe just skip these things. But I have no concern for my own well-being. So it's exactly where I need to be. So it worked out in the end. By the time the demo area shut down, you had seen the iPhone 10, the iPhone 8, 8 Plus the new Apple Watch, and I don't even know if I'm leaving anything out. But you you saw a lot of stuff. I saw, I think it's fair to say I saw everything to see that was available there. I think yeah. there, there might have been like an Apple TV 4K sort of tucked away in a back room somewhere but that you could access by invitation only. But uh, I missed that, and I kind of feel okay about that. It's an Apple TV that streams 4K. Like, great. Thank you for finally catching up to the times. Right. I mean, the bigger news with the, the 4K TV, and I don't want to derail you too much, but the bigger news was the 4K movie pricing. Yeah, so actually, yeah. Dana, for, for the sake of everyone listening who maybe didn't read our story, myself included, what's, uh, what's the deal with that? Well, so if people had already purchased Aiden, um, HD content through the iTunes store, it's automatically getting upscaled to 4K, upgraded to 4K at no extra charge. And going Ooh. forward, if someone wants to buy 4K content, it won't cost any more than HD content would. So Apple really doing its part to um, push forward... Uh, adoption of 4k in general which is probably good for the rest of the industry at least tv makers out there yeah but i have to wonder how other content providers look at this other so i think like netflix for example has like a separate tier just for sort of ultra hd stuff and they've always been able to kind of comfortably charge the premium for that because it was only ever the people who really 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 cared about video quality and also had presumably a decent amount of money invested in decent setups already who could really take advantage of that but that's that's a revenue stream that's going to get cut down probably. Like with Apple sort of making a very pointed move to make 4K more accessible, content providers like Netflix are going to have to maybe reconsider how they price their stuff, and I wonder how they're taking that. That's interesting, and I guess time will will tell. Yeah, there's probably a decent amount of wailing and gnashing of teeth behind closed doors, and what I wouldn't give to be behind those doors. Or fly, like, fly on the wall, like whatever cliche. No, there were closed doors because not everyone was allowed in the room. Um, tell us about the iPhone 10. Honestly, it's it's fine. 
I I, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Like I I read a lot of the coverage that sort of went up yesterday after I had done my own hands on, and everyone seemed very very bullish on Apple sort of building uh, their vision of the smartphone of the future into this device. And, and I'm sure that's true. And I sort of agree with that. Like everything that Apple does is going to affect the way everyone else kind of does what they do. So sure, by that token, Apple is sort of pushing its vision and sort of making it more palatable for everyone. But after having picked up the phone and used it for a while, like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's nice. I've frankly held phones that were just as nice like three or four weeks ago. Like it's it's perfectly OK. It doesn't seem, frankly, all that revolutionary. I, well, I think my biggest question is about the home button. What was it like in those few minutes you were handling the device to reflexively reach out your thumb for a home button that wasn't there? Well, I got to tell you, that that did not happen, which I, I think is a testament to how well the iOS design team sort of got their stuff together. Once you're sort of in there, everything just sort of clicks after about 30 seconds of hemming and hawing and trying to figure out what's actually going on. So. Uh, you sort of dismiss apps by grabbing the top and sort of flicking them away, which is super natural to me. You swipe up to bring up your multitasking view of cards. Uh, you just sort of sift through and sort of flick them around as necessary. You swipe down from the left and right uh, corners of the display to bring down control center and the notification shade, respectively. And, like, that's it. Like, that's the learning curve. Once you sort of wrap your head around that, which does, again, feel very intuitive, so it doesn't take that much time. Like, it's you're you're just using an iPhone again. Like, it's... The, the level of abstraction that the home button provided for so, so long just seems so unnecessary now because this works so, so well. Like, I'm frankly very surprised Apple hasn't tried to do this sooner because, like, it just, it feels natural. Like, this is the way the iPhone was sort of supposed to work. I wonder if, so in 2007, when Steve Jobs unveiled the iPhone, there was a lot of to do about how you're, you're really just touching the software. And that feels so much more true now than it ever really has before. You don't have this physical layer to kind of get in the way. You're just interacting with your stuff, and it feels really cool. But all told, you said, it's just fine. It's fine, and I'll tell you why. Like, that screen, it's a really nice screen. Have I seen better? You Like, damn right, I've seen better. Like, I don't think that Apple's display game is, is the best. I, I personally give that to Samsung, and that's fully conceding the fact that Apple has done a lot with these new displays. So they support True Tone, which is really cool. It uses an ambient light sensor sort of wedged in that top notch to sort of a, to, to interpret the light that's around you and kind of give you what would what a white piece of paper would look like in that environment, which is cool, but we saw it on the iPad Pro. Uh, the bezels around the display are definitely small, but I've seen smaller, like the Galaxy Note 8 definitely has less stuff on the sides. The Essential PH1 is... Maybe not the best phone for everyone, but just a technical marvel with that display. It lacks, I think, the iPhone X, just some of the visual impact that a lot of competitors have recently dropped. And I wonder how people are taking that. Like, Apple can't be super pleased that Essential, for example, kind of did, I think, what Apple wanted to do with fewer compromises. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, all told, the iPhone X sort of isn't, isn't a phone for phone reviewers. I, it's it's for you, but it's really not for it's, you. It's really not for me at all, I would say, because when I, if and when I review this thing, it's definitely going to be compared against all of the other phones I've tested recently that try to do similar things and I think arguably have achieved more on that front. But the people who were going to go out there and spend $1,000 on this phone could care less what I think, and that's totally okay. And so uh, we're going to have to take a short break soon, but before the break... 
How does it, how does this all stack up to the eight and eight plus, which you also saw? So it's really interesting. We I think we had sort of two editorials go up uh, this past week, which sort of makes an argument that a the iPhone X is the iPhone. You don't want that eight or eight plus trash. Forget it. That's crazy talk. And another that was basically, hey, you know what? Don't worry about that iPhone 10, the 8 and 8 Plus. Don't forget about it. This is still going to be a really good thing. And I think that sort of sums up the duality that people are sort of approaching these devices with. The X is really cool. And when that eventually becomes the norm for iPhones, we'll all have had plenty of time to get used to it. But the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus, despite feeling very familiar, they're very good. Are they the most exciting updates in the world? No, but I don't think anyone really expected that. There's a lot going on under the hood, but... If you've been sitting on an upgrade, this is probably the time to pull the trigger. Like, you weren't going to go for the 10, most likely, anyway. But the 8 and 8 Plus were really good upgrades. Personally, and I mean, I am a tech editor, and I am so far leaning toward the 8. Why I'm, is that? Well, I see. Because I, I imagine you being a tech person like me, and probably the rest of the people listening to this, like, just the pull of the new and quote-unquote innovative is generally what kind of like sucks us into that vortex. And you've seen we've resisted that vortex pretty well. I think what come what it comes down to right now is I want wireless charging, which I'd get on any of the new iPhones, but I still want my home button while I can get it. I know eventually I'm going to have to say goodbye, but this is sort of like how with the MacBook line, I would always prefer to have a full USB port. That's a bad analogy because I don't know if I'd buy the MacBook Air today, but you know what I'm saying that Right. Um, just because Apple is offering select models with this new, newfangled technology, um, it doesn't mean I need to jump on that right now. I mean, that's fair. I, I, will, I will argue that the home button like, really isn't necessary anymore. Like, the reason we all feel so bad that it's not there is just because we've been trained to sort of use it and lean on it so heavily over the last, what, 10 years? But... I don't know if Apple had gone full screen and like no home button from day one, like no one would have cared. Like it's 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 only going to be missed because we're used to it. And it's frankly not the best solution to kind of do what it is Apple wants us to do. And I think what people want to do on their iPhones uh, particularly easy, like it, it's a layer of abstraction that just doesn't need to be there anymore. I think for me, too, I need to wrap my head around the size. And I'm not one of those people who ever jumped on board with the S series or the I'm sorry, the um, the plus line. So this would be just markedly a bigger phone than I'm used to, and maybe than I want. Well, it's so here's the thing that sort of tends to get lost in the shuffle. I was surprised by how small the iPhone X actually was. Like, it's definitely not plus size. You're going to be able to pull this thing in and out of your pocket just fine. If you're a relatively small-handed person like a lot of people are, like, you're not actually going to have any trouble with this. The lack of bezel around the side might mean you're reaching for stuff a little bit more, but... I mean, I think realistically going forward, that's that's going to be how we kind of approach things. And we're going to have devices that are almost all screen. And yeah, like you're probably going to have to shuffle your hand up and down a little bit to kind of get some stuff done. But well, in a way get that's used to it. It's the future, guys. But Come that's on. classic Apple in some ways, um, expecting people to change their habits and expectations. And in this case, at least to Apple's credit, it offered two solid options for two very different kinds of sensibilities. Yeah, I think that's true. I think... I'm very much looking forward to seeing how well the iPhone X does sort of demographically. Like, I assume, obviously, younger people will probably go towards that. Um, I'm, the country-by-country country breakdown is going to be super interesting to see. So uh, iPhones have historically done really well in China when they've been available. There's been arguments made that the Plus model and sort of some of the finishes, like Rose Gold, were sort of maybe not meant with Asia specifically in mind, but like with the understanding that those would do pretty well there. So I, 
I'm going to go out there and say it. Like, the iPhone 10 is going to sell like crazy in China. I don't know about the States all that much. It'll be picked up by early adopters and people with lots of money, but China is going to be where it's at. Cool. So I think we should take a short break. And when we come back, we should talk a little bit about what you thought of the Apple Watch Series 3. It's that time of year again. The iPhone you've really, really been waiting for is now available on the nation's largest, most reliable 4G LTE network. Head over to your nearest Verizon wireless store or order online today. Hey, and we're back. I am senior editor Chris Velasco. And I am, what the hell's my title? I am executive editor Dana Wolman. This is a great day you're having, Dana. Yeah. <laughs> I've got my caffeinated drink here in my left hand. It's and not, it it's not helping literally me. literally 0%. Yes, it, it is not helping me remember facts about myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's fair to say it's been a pretty hectic week for us. So we're talking about the Apple event today. We've done a pretty deep-ish dive, I like to think, on the iPhone X. But there is a lot more that we saw at the Steve Jobs Theater at Apple's new Apple Park campus. And I think it's worth taking a little time to talk about the Apple Watch Series 3. Dana, what do you think of this thing? Can we just stop and talk about how Apple explained slash didn't explain the size difference of the new watch? Yeah, sure. So Yeah, so in this presentation, they're like, it's the same size as the Apple Watch Series 2, except we added a back plate that makes it thicker. I missed that, actually, while yeah, we were no, there. Yeah, no, so I, I was thinking about that today. It was like, it's the same size, but it's not really the same size. So, like, not to be, like, I don't want to be the Apple guy. Like, I'm not, I'm not an Apple fanboy by any stretch, even though I use an iPhone as one of my daily drivers. So, like, Apple's rationale behind this is that the chassis, like, the actual metal body itself has not changed in size. The glass part in the back with the... Uh, right. So, it's the same screen size. It'll accommodate all the last generation wristbands and stuff like that. Right. Um, I just was thinking today that even though I was live blogging it, I, I came back to me today and I was like, oh, yeah, uh, um, that was a fuzzy way of saying that or a very markety way of saying that. Um, one, like... That's true. I definitely can't deny that. But having actually like tried the thing on, I kind of understand why they did it that way. Because like once you put it on, like you can't tell the difference. Like so they said that the difference in size between the Series 2 and Series 3 was equivalent to two sheets of paper stacked up. And I didn't have any spare paper yeah. on me at the event. So I couldn't actually verify that for myself. But I think... Apple's watch team deserves a lot of credit for being able to squeeze all that extra stuff into a body that, like, realistically is not yeah. any bigger. So let's back up and talk about what has changed from Series 2. Uh, LTE. Optional LTE. Optional LTE. Three beautiful letters. LTE. So, yeah, you can get it uh, when the Apple Watch ships. That particular model costs $70 more than the standard Apple Watch Series 3. Uh, and we're actually... One of the big question marks we had at the event was, like, how do you how do you actually get this set up? Because... The way it works is it shares your phone's phone number. So if you're out and about, you can take a call or send a call, initiate a call, and it, go, it comes from your phone number. And we've discovered today that it basically requires you to pay $10 extra to your wireless carrier. They do a little sort of carrier magic on the back end, and that sort of allows that to function properly. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. I, I don't know that I want to spend $10 a month for, for a watch with LTE. Like, that's... That's the problem that Android Wear and like Tizen devices have had, right? Like LTE, 3G in a smartwatch is not a new thing. We've had those mm -hmm. for years and no one has really gotten on board. A, because the watches they've been in tended to be a little big because you have to typically accommodate 
some sort of sim, like a, a physical sim. Uh, LG's Watch 2, uh, their first Android Wear 2.0 watch, is a great example because it's a chunky thing. And when you kind of open it up, you realize, oh, that's because there's an actual SIM card inside. Apple's approach is much more elegant. Uh, it does use an embedded SIM, which we kind of saw coming. Apple worked with Intel to kind of get their modems for some iPhones. And Intel has been pushing the eSIM thing for a long time. But that means you don't have to worry about squeezing another piece of plastic directly inside there. And more importantly, it uses the screen as the antenna, which I think is really, really smart. Let's talk about what Apple says are the ideal use cases for LTE and talk about really whether we think that's worth A, the extra $70 up front and B, the extra $10 a month. I, I don't need this at all. Apple gave examples of people, let's say, I think they said, um, well, it's funny, in their promotional video, if you first see someone wearing the Apple, the LTE watch, um, I think they're s swimming and then they're surfing in the ocean. Yeah. Okay, so if you're literally surfing, you can't have your phone in your bathing suit pocket. Your bathing suit doesn't even have a pocket. Fair. But um, there are other examples where like running errands or taking a stroll on the beach. And I mean, frankly, those are mostly situations where without thinking, I just take my phone with me. So what's really interesting is Apple's sort of assertion that you can use this as an iPhone replacement. If you go out, you don't need your phone with you. But I, I honestly question how many people want to spend at least part of their day without their phones. I question it, too. And I think it, what I keep coming back to is this feels like a bit of a pivot for Apple. Because last year with the Series 2, the Apple Watch was really positioned as this fitness device. It had built-in GPS. It was being aimed at athletes, marathoners, half marathoners, right? Hikers. And this, if you're saying that you can buy it with LTE and leave your phone at home, it's being positioned almost as like more of a phone replacement, which until now was not the point of an Apple Watch. Sure, but I think Apple has kind of struggled for a long time to justify the Apple Watch's existence. Like when the Series 1 launched, like we all knew it was coming and then they did it, but like the, it, it, it's pointless, really. Like you're saving yourself arguably a couple steps by like not taking your phone out of your pocket and like punching in your code or putting your thumb on the touch ID and like doing whatever it is you have to do. And that's fine. But like, I, I would argue that you, there's no actual huge benefit to having one of these things in your lives. And with every subsequent iteration, they've like added something to try and make that value proposition a little stronger. So to your point, yeah, the series two is meant to be kind of a fitnessy sort of thing. And now, it's trying to be a little bit of everything to everyone, and I don't really see how that works. Yeah, it's just interesting. I can't remember another time, per se, that we reached the third generation of an Apple device, and Apple was still trying to figure out who it was for. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, what is Apple realistically going to do? Like, the watch, to their point, like, is the number one watch in the world. By the way, like, what, what metrics are that based off of? Like, when they dropped that claim in the middle of the presentation, I was just like, what? Who is counting this? Like, where are you getting this information from? What's funny is the company in their in their slide deck that they apparently bumped out of second place was or Rolex. the top place was Rolex. And that just seemed like a sketchy stat to me just because how many people in the world are going out and buying Rolexes? Well, enough to make it the number one. And if you buy a Rolex, you're not buying another one for the rest of your life or like for oh, a long time. True. The Apple Watch, maybe the reason so many are sold is that it's essentially a commodity, right? Yeah. It's a I mean, $300 device, basically. Yeah, you're you're wandering into this completely sort of traditional market and then applying your iterative annual upgrade cycle to it. And like, yeah, you're going to sell an effing ton of those things. Like, that was never going to be a question. The answer, or like the real question to me is, okay, 
you've done that. Like, like now what? Like, where do you take this thing next? I don't know. Um, that remains to be seen. Um, so I'm, suffice to say, you would not go out and buy an Apple Watch Series 3 with LTE and pay $10 a month for it. I don't think I'd be looking at the LTE version, no. Not for what I would need an Apple Watch for. And I don't know that I, quote unquote, need an Apple Watch per se. But if I wanted one for myself, I don't think it would be so essential that I would need LTE built in. But, you know, these are things that we can revisit when we eventually get a device in for review. Yeah. I do also want to throw out there that you yourself, as a pretty avid runner, I don't know, you probably appreciate the new sort of heart rate stuff that, we, that we've seen in watchOS 4. So you have like readouts for like your high intensity intervals and sort of resting versus active heart rates to kind of give you a sense of like when you're most in the zone and stuff like that. Like that seems arguably helpful to people who really give a crap about being fit. I'm glad you brought up the heart rate stuff. I mean, I personally don't take my heart rate into account when I'm running, but I know a lot of runners do. And, um, you know, for all the criticism we've had for Apple or feedback we've had for Apple during this conversation, I think it is worth noting the research that they're doing. Um, monitoring not just sudden surges in heart rate, but they're doing research apparently having to do with cardiac arrhythmias, which is super interesting. It's just arrhythmias kill people. So it's interesting that Apple is devoting some of its research efforts to looking into that. Yeah, we've seen some of this stuff before. So uh, Apple's health kit for a while there was used by certain organizations for like diabetes sort of studies mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So this isn't exactly new stuff for Apple. And nor like that being said, I don't think that makes it any less important. Like, Thank you for actually taking this information from us and actually doing something valuable with it. Um, I don't know. I, so when I was sitting there during the keynote, like watching all this stuff unfold, I, the one time I really had to laugh out loud was when whoever was sort of talking about the Apple Watch and the heart monitoring study just sort of casually mentioned that, oh yeah, the FDA is like really great to work with. I doubt that very much. I really, really doubt they're having a great time with the FDA. Uh-huh. Oh, guys. I mean, I understand why you have to do it, but come on, let's be real here. Yeah. You laughed more at that than you did at the town square line? Yeah, actually, I guess I did. Oh, for me, the, the, the low point and slash the most comic point was uh, retail chief Angela Arantz describing Apple stores as the new town squares. Is she wrong, though? Yes. Elaborate, because the, my understanding of, like, I don't know, provincial America and just sort of, like, town structures that they don't really exist anymore. So by, by definition, like making something re to replace something that doesn't exist, like, yeah, sure. Like you could reasonably say that. I came back to a really deep cut. Everyone else told me it was a deep cut, which is code for I am old. But <laughs> I came back to the scene in the movie You've Got Mail from 20 years ago. What? And in the movie, for those who haven't seen it, Tom Hanks is CEO of what's supposed to be a Barnes & Noble type bookstore. And he's getting indignant about the way, about the press that his company's receiving. And he's speaking to his assistant, who, by the way, is Dave Chappelle. And um, he's indignant because he wanted people to see his Barnes & Noble type stores as piazzas. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I can't do a good Chappelle impression, but his re response is something like, piazza. And anyway, that's what I came back to during yesterday's keynote. I'm so glad your brain has allowed you to go back into... I think an otherwise pretty forgettable, like, 90s Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan rom-com. Anyway, yeah, in this analogy, Apple stores are Barnes & Noble. Apple, a, so, so and Tim the Cook town is Tom squares Hanks. are piazzas. Gotcha. Yeah. Excellent. I, I don't know, like, I feel like a lot of towns don't really have this sort of central gathering space anymore, right? Like, I, I don't, I'm not craven enough to think that Apple stores 
sort of burgeoning into these larger, more open, more culturally sort of sensitive places is at least at a star. I mean, at least at a Barnes and Noble, you could buy a coffee and you could just um, sit on a couch or even in the olden days, you could sit in the aisles and read a book. Um, I used, you know, I've, I've in my life have sat down in a Barnes and Noble and I flipped through coffee table books. Um, you can't do that in an Apple store. You might show up and play with the products, but you're not really um, communing or hanging out per se. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the big part of the argument, right? Is that sure, like you could feasibly build a big space and do cool stuff in it. But at the end of the day, like you're a company trying to turn a profit. So any sort of grand gesture to sort of endear yourself to the community is always going to be obscured by the fact that you're trying to make money off of these people who walk in. I mean, I think a good place to start would be Apple paying more taxes in the U.S. That, Ooh, that would be a good burn. thing for the people, would be putting more money into the U.S. economy instead of withholding it <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> instead right? of keeping it in, like, Ireland yes. or whatever, wherever they keep their sort of overseas holdings. Yes. I mean, I, I think that would be an equitable, good place to start. So maybe, okay, so let's maybe uh, open letter to Angela Ahrens. Maybe don't worry about the town hall stuff for now. Maybe just, like, pay your taxes, guys. Open letter to Angela Arents. I would like hands-on with the coat she was wearing. And on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this week's edition of the Engadget Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Velasco, spelled exactly the way it sounds, not like that's helpful. And I am Dana Wallman on Twitter, just my full name, no spaces. And we will be back next week. Yes, we will be back next week. But quick shout out to my sister, Christine. It was just her birthday uh, this past week. Happy birthday, killer. Happy birthday, Christine. Killer. Killer. Killer.